Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session. My name is Jimmy Zabo and I'm here thanks to Sportsmate Mobile and the Footy Live app. Make sure you download the Footy Live app today for all your stats, scores, news, opinions, highlights and podcasts. We had our third and final buy round at the weekend. And while Saturday wasn't the best day of footy, Friday night's drama and Sunday afternoon seesawing contest gave us a heap of entertainment to enjoy. We will try and back it up today with a big podcast. We'll cover all the talking points and opinions from round 14, but not before an extremely special guest drops by to talk about his career, life outside of footy, and what he's been up to after retirement. It's Mr. Alex Rance, and I cannot wait, Uh, which is why I'll stop rambling now and get straight to the wonderful round recap of round 14. The interview is coming up straight after this. It was pretty obvious that cats and dogs don't like each other as soon as the first siren sounded on Friday night. Stuart was more aggressive than Alf, who picked off the dog's flaming mongrel punts with ease, and Joel may have stepped too far, but you wouldn't try and rough up an opponent's face, would you? Well, so would. His reputation is important, according to Scott, who celebrated Gary Rowan's identical twinning goal after the siren. He did it for the Swans, and now he's a cat, constantly finding a way to land on all four points. Geelong by a goal. The Suns didn't rise on Saturday afternoon as power was plugged in throughout the entire contest. Wines was sculling leather, picking up 44 touches, and Rosie looks to have finally turned the corner. Robbie's injury led to grey skies, while Gold Coast had to swallow news of a head knock to the skipper and that a hamstring injury to Lockie wouldn't make things weller. Port too powerful with a 50-point win. The Lions didn't harm their pride in the win over North, but looked more like Cubs than Kings of the AFL jungle. Ruse jumped them early and were getting pretty larky in front of the sticks, but Jared's Lions wouldn't let the spirit of Tasmania lead to a noble win down south for North. Fagan won't be that happy, but let's just forget and forgive the points to Brisbane. <laughs> Lions by 23. It only took about two greens to beat 23 Blues as another giant loss fatigue has further delayed his train to success. Carlton may need more than an internal review and a stocker take to find their missing hearts. Well, at least they're getting on the parks. But he had just three touches, while Adam might be feeling very sad about his decision to move to Carlton. GWS by 36 points. The Dons literally had a ball on a stringer in Tassie as Jake kicked four goals and had 29 touches. His daughters would have been proud as well as his Harris son. Jones took marks all day. The number one tipper got his choices right. And while it was nearly Will's day for a while, Essendon won on merit. Both Bombers and Hawks can fly, but only one has really taken off. Dons by 13 points. Okay, today's guest is one of the best defenders the great game of Australian rules football has ever seen. He played 200 games at the highest level, winning a drought-breaking premiership, a Jack Dye medal, and his reading of the play, courage, and on-field leadership earned him five consecutive All-Australians to end out his incredible career. This man is an entrepreneur, author, and education professional with a strong faith, exceptional values, and a love of having fun. I've been waiting for this moment a very long time. I've always wanted to rants with somebody, and I finally get the opportunity on this very special edition of the gym session welcome mr alex rance thanks jimmy good to be uh good to be a part of it i'm, I'm not a huge fan of acc- accolades and things like that so for uh yeah for the intro to go for that long i was i was feeling very very nervous but i'm very grateful uh, no worries mate hey uh congratulations on the comeback game as well are uh, you running out for seymour this weekend i think i just wanted to confirm though Rancy, this is just a warm-up game before coming back to richmond for the for the four pete 
<laughs> yeah, well, I'm actually dropping my car off to get a service today. There was a few people asking the same thing, but uh, no, no, there's no be no four Pete on the cards. I'm just out to to have a kick with my mate uh, Ben Clifton, who uh, I think he was the the coach and uh, captain out there for a little while, and now we're just gonna go out, have a bit of fun, and hopefully kick a few snags. Uh, that's good. There's a lot of projects for you going on. Obviously, you're a bit too busy to get back into the AFL. The Academy, you, you co-founded that in 2016. I honestly wish this was around when I was in school. So it's it's basically a full-time AFL passion education program. And it's an alternate alternative to, you know, your standard year 11 and 12 schooling instead of doing VCAL. Can you, can you explain what um, what that's all about? Yeah, sure. So how it originally came about was uh, I got drafted in, in the end of 2007 and along with a, you know another four or five guys. <clears throat> and then every year, obviously, a new draft crop would come through and everyone expects that they're going to have a 12-year career, pay off their house, a Brownlow, Norm Smith, Coleman Medal, all the, all the bells and whistles. But the, the harsh reality is uh, the large percentage don't really get that opportunity. Um, and with athletically uh, oriented young men, what can happen is, uh, and women now, obviously, with AFLW kicking off and going full steam ahead, all the eggs can go in that football basket rather than diversifying. So what we wanted to do is create an education uh, platform over year 11 and 12, uh, which is a full-time education platform linked in with a Cert 3 and Cert 4 and also your VCAL uh, to give you a a holistic education about yourself, about what your passions are and and give you a a good uh, professional foundation to be able to do whatever you like to do. So obviously it's centred around your passion for football um, but it's what about football do you love and how can you have a plan A, B, C and D, which are all going to be equally as satisfying to you. Mm, this curriculum is awesome. Mate. So just it's basically like being in an AFL environment, isn't it? Like Monday to Friday, you do your wellness check-ins, uh, how many hours you've slept, how do you feel, uh, how do you feel the skill sessions, recovery sessions, cross training. Is, is that like, it's like the closest thing to being in an, an AFL environment? Well, that's what we wanted to simulate. Um, don't don't get us wrong. We're not doing uh, just kicking footies and, and pushing tin all day. There's a, a very strict curriculum that we stick to, but we make sure that everything links in with what our passion is. So uh, we're not going to be studying Shakespeare and Othello and, um, you know, the Lord of the Flies and things like that and doing uh, numeracy, which isn't relevant to us. Some of the things that we will be studying are maybe the Essendon Supplement Scandal or uh, Gender Equality in Sport, the Adam Goods documentary, uh, what a energy systems in uh, in your body uh, what's what is uh, movement patterns and things like that for biomechanics when you're running when you're kicking all of that linking into making you a better footballer uh, but also uh, a better leader a better person uh, things like that as well so there's there's definitely that AFL uh, structure and system that uh, we've tried to mimic but there's definitely a, a really strong sense of um, curriculum and education that goes along with it as well yeah great and you've got you've got a few um, campuses now doing it so if people want to uh, apply or um, get more information they can just go to is it the the academy website yeah, theacademy.com.au and we've got a campus in Geelong, uh, we've got a campus in Essendon and then we've got a campus in Wangaratta and our dream eventually is to cover most of Victoria um, and, and really something that we would like to align ourselves with is is each NAB league um, team or zone. So, you know, Ballarat, Bendigo, Gippsland, Eastern Rangers, all that kind of thing. So currently we, we have a, a pretty good coverage of the Falcons, obviously, the Bushies, uh, and then Northern Knights, Calder Cannons, Western Jets, and that Essendon campus. So, um, yeah, that's that's our that's our dream and our vision, and hopefully we can achieve that over the next three to five years. 
Mm, your schooling was a bit different, wasn't it, Rancy? So you went to a, a music and art school from kinder to year 10. Then you, you go to Guildford Grammar, I think it is, to finish your year in 12 because of the, the sports teams. But you weren't really a footy lover, were you, when you were growing up? You know, you loved archery, outdoor things, you had horses. And your dad was a West Coast champion, second captain of all time at the club. But you didn't really like like footy until, what, you're 12 years old or? Yeah, I never played. Uh, I never played in a team until I was uh, twelve. My my very first possession, actually, of, of organised football was a throw. I jumped on the ball <laughs> and was freaked out by everyone around me, so I just threw it in between my legs and obviously gave a free kick away. But yeah, I was just into so many different things, and it probably um, as my career grew and and my I grew up as a person, it still that stayed the same. I was always really interested in different things. Um, and so, yeah, I was always kicking the footy in the backyard with my old man, but had motorbikes and, um, like to explore in the, in the bush and, and things like that. So I was always uh, looking for, for other cool things to do, not just footy. What what was the like teenage early twenties Alex Rance like? Because you've admitted in the past you're a little bit extra confident. You didn't listen as much as you should. A bit cheeky. You drove a VX white Commodore, spun it out on day two of having your license. You told Matty Richardson off first day of training. What what was the young Alex Rance like? We'll be back after a quick break. It's a very good question. I've never been asked that before. Um, I, I think I was just a lover of life and just really like over enthusiastic about everything and, and probably um, egotistically thought that my way was always good. And that, But it always came from a place of wanting to help and, and wanting to make the place better. But sometimes it might have come across as being a bit of a um, know-it-all. But, yeah, like I... I I probably wouldn't have been that fun to to, to teach actually in, in class because I was always asking questions that um, probably shouldn't have been asked. But I think that's what um, I guess made me uh, a good leader at a football club is because once I actually worked out how to ask questions the right way, it was really beneficial to the group because how often have we been in those circumstances, whether it's in a, an office, uh, you know, a, a big meeting with, with um, your bosses or whether it's with coaches at a footy club or leaders or things like that, where you really want to ask a question, but you don't want to feel like an idiot. You don't want to be the one that asks that awkward question where I just would always ask those awkward questions. Cause I just, I didn't either care what they thought or I just thought it would be beneficial for us to know. So yeah, that always was the case from, from 15 onwards, but um yeah, like probably a younger teenager, I was into like drama and public speaking and um, yeah, what else? Like always like arts and crafts kind of stuff, always building things in the shed and yeah, that was probably me. Yeah, well, you said you, you de- developed your leadership skills a little bit later and you learned you were developing at Richmond. Early days, you you clashed with Jack Rewald a lot, didn't you? Um, and now you're your best major, I mean, you wrote a book about him. 
Uh, how was that relationship early on? Because it seemed like you really didn't get along. Yeah, it's we're, we're probably the, we're just this like this cut from the same cloth. Like we're very similar, and we both have had good ideas, but we're both very outspoken about them and probably asked questions that we didn't care whether people thought we were stupid or not. And so we would ask questions of each other and challenge things of each other. But at that time, we probably weren't mature enough to receive it in the right way. But then as we grew together, we started to understand that this person actually does love me and he does want what's best for me and the team. And this isn't coming from a place of negativity. Uh, and then I think that always, that comes with, with growing up too. Um, when you get told off as a kid or when you get challenged as a kid, you always think you're in trouble rather than that person actually cares and loves me. So yeah, our relationship started off pretty rocky. We, we definitely got in a, a fair few push and shoves at, at training and, and things like that. Um, but as time went on, we saw the value in each other and it was actually probably the power of, of us. We had a really strong leader in the forward line who was like, you need to get Rancy's boys. And I was like, you need to get Jack's boys. So we would have these like epic clashes and actually Dimmer said at one training session, this is, it's starting to go too far. Like it's, you guys are getting way too competitive backs v forwards. Like you probably got to tame it back a bit. So um yeah, that was just, we, we were trying to drive for success and, and we got there in the end, which was fantastic to see, but um, not without it sort of hiccups and learnings along the way. Yeah. Well, in, in around 2016, a lot of things changed around the club. I don't know if maybe that's when your relationship was was at its peak and, and came together. Um, but there was obviously the talk about the acceptance, vulnerability, a mental shift, celebrating authenticity. What really drove that? Because, that you know, Emma Murray and Shane McCurry came on around that time. Dimmer changed his philosophy. You became the vice skipper. Uh, you know, you said Ben Rutten's had a, a massive influence on that. What was the major shift? Like who pushed it the most? It's it was definitely um, from the from the top down. So Trent and um, Trent and Dimmer obviously need to set the vision, mm. um, which all bosses need to do. So whether that's a CEO, general manager, whatever, need to set a vision. And a lot of teams try and do that, but it's about having the cattle around to say, "Yep, I believe in that. I believe that what you're saying is authentic, and I want to come along for the journey too. I believe that that's the best way to go as well." And so. It obviously started with with Dimmer and Trent, but I, I think Jack was one. Um, he, Jack, Jack and I both, because we're more freelancey agents, we we had two choices. We could have said, "You're an idiot. I'm going to form a coup. You're clearly not in a good spot, um, Trent or Dimmer." we're taking this joint over, and we're going to do what we like, like run this sort of guerrilla form yeah. of government, like, but. We didn't because we believed what they were about and we believed that what our place was was the support. It, it, we weren't the man. We weren't supposed to be the man. That was Trent's job. That was Trent's role. And I think it took probably a little bit of um, humility for us to say we understand our, our place and, and we, we back you up. And then things start to fall in line when you get people that are willing to sacrifice for others, whether that's title, whether that's... Um, possession of the ball, whether that's public recognition even, because, you know, it goes down that Trent's probably the greatest captain that Richmond's ever seen now. Um, and then that's fantastic. And I love that for him. And, you know, a part of me probably does want, yeah, Jack and I to, to be along there as, you know, they were great leaders and support too, but that will probably get uh, lost to history. But that's, you know, we're part of it. So it was, it was definitely worth it. 
What mm. was it easy for others to get along? Like obviously you guys as the leaders, you said you you got on board with it. But I mean Emma Murray said, you know, Josh Caddy thought she was full of shit when she first came on and some players might have questioned what was going on. Was was it hard to get everybody on board or was it like a kind of a quick process once it started working? So that's, yeah, that's actually a good point. So Emma Murray, it was really interesting how Dimmer um, broke down and presented to us why we were doing the, and it's, it's not the Emma Murray experience, but it's just about be, tackling the emotional and psychological part of the game of football because we spend so much time working on the physical. We do preseason, we do gym sessions, we can kick the football. That's that's physical. We do a lot on the tactical side. We do game reviews, pre and post. We do individual reviews with our line line um, line coaches. So the tactical side's taken care of to help our decision making, but. We don't do, and not a lot of teams at that stage were doing anything on how we feel about the game. So, yeah, I get that that's what I'm supposed to do, but I don't believe that it's the right thing to do. And how can I make myself believe that it's the right thing to do? Um, If I make a mistake, how can I pull myself out of that? And that was just one side of the game which was so heavily neglected and and Dimmer presented it so well that it's like, well, gone are the days now. Talent's too good. Coaches are too good now. Systems are too good. This is the new frontier. And now we see everyone doing it. That that's it's the it's how you get connection. It's how you um, form strong teams is from this um, emotion because we're all emotional beings. We're like the stock market's emotional. Uh, the decisions we make on a day to day basis are all emotional. So if you can find a way to cut out the fact from the emotion then that's the power of that sort of psychological training. And Emma Murray is the best. And like, I haven't had an experience with many, but the proof's in the pudding. Like she brought us from basket cases that would, you know, get knocked out of finals by 70 points in the first quarter to consistent performers on a regular basis. She brought Bathurst drivers to being the best in the world, tennis players, basketball players. Like she's done it with everyone. And it's, she has, she's got the runs on the board now. Mm. I've loved listening to you speak about your growth as, as a person. Like a lot of people see you as like the practical joker. You're the larrikin at the club, but you're also a, a real general. And and Conrad Marshall speaks about you, you know, barking orders at, at players at really like a forceful way. You're the general. One time you were going through the race, I think it was a preseason game, and you're saying, you know, when you put this jumper on, it's a contract. It's an effing contract. And you were really forceful in that. And how did you find that balance between like being the practical joker, Alex, and then the the general Alex? Uh, did that take a while to develop those skills? I, th- I think it, uh, it did. Um, and they always throw like, you know, the old adage liked versus respected. And I think everyone just wants to be liked. And so it is hard to know where to draw the line. And, but I, I thought um, how you earn the liked how you earn the right to be a clown and muck around is train harder than anyone so they can never question it so even if you don't play well i still train my backside off and i'm trying to do the best that i can and this, so there's the story for me early days in my career i couldn't get the ball to save my life i was running under contests i was running the wrong direction when i should have been running the like i just was not a good footballer athletically i was very gifted like in the gym in pre-season and so I was allowed to be a clown because everyone's like, well, we can't, we can't knock his effort. And then from that built, well, now actually I learned how to play the game. And, and so that's how you sort of balance it. But it is a, it is a very precarious balance, especially when young kids come in 
because you don't want to squash their personality, but it's sort of just like, let's get some runs on the board first, make the group believe that you're a hard worker and that you're not just um, taking the mickey out of this situation and you're going to help us be better. And then let's add personality and flair and, and joking and, and things like that in because, um, yeah, you don't want to come in and think and everyone to think you're a fool. And then when you say something worth saying, everyone's like, ah, oh, yeah, he's just a fool. So it's, it is a, it is a very big balance for, for young players to take. Hmm. Is it, I don't know if it has something to do with it, but you told me the other day you actually didn't enjoy game day. Um, is that because you had to be a different person or is that because of the pressure or what made it, what made you not enjoy game day? Yeah, I didn't enjoy game day. Um, I enjoyed after game day uh, and I knew that game day was necessary to, to validate all the work that I'd done. Um, mm. And you need a, a testing moment to see whether your system and process works, to see whether you've improved. So I saw, I saw how necessary it was for the whole part of being a professional athlete. But to be a professional anything, you need to constantly be put through tests. So the reason why I didn't like game day was because it made me the most extreme version of myself in, in terms of a leader, in terms of a competitor, in terms of a um, the dominant physical person that sits within me. So, you know, when I contrast that against my faith, being very loving, being very inclusive and supportive, it, 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 it's the polar opposite. You've got to be very focused, very disciplined, very dominant against your opponent. Like I've got to basically make him have a bad day. Mm. So it, it, you can see how it sort of, you know, tears against you sometimes, but the connection part, and probably that's where my leadership changed at the start of my career, I was dominant to my opponent and I was dominant to my teammates as well. Be here, stand there, do this. Why didn't you do that? Da, 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 da. And it, and it really became abrasive. It made some people better, but it made other people really not um, uh, really shut down. Mm. So then I had to realize that that's not the best form of leadership and finding that balance. So um, yeah, it, it was it was a hard um, hard balance to strike. And I guess that's probably in the end. I was like, I think I think I've had enough of that side of of this game um, mm. and that's why that's where the academy came because I can still do all those things that I loved about football helping young people out be physically fit go outside um, watch them grow you know all those things that I love so much about everything other than game day I can do now on a daily basis is that common that a lot of players don't enjoy game day uh, I think I think it's an interesting transition because when you go from a young player you, you always love game day. Like every kid from, you know, Oz kick up to when they're probably 18 loves game day. Cause it's not really pressure. You're playing with your mates, having a laugh, then it becomes your job in a business. And slowly that love of the game probably starts to get strained. And so I think, and that's where the anxiety comes in and the stress. So I think there would be a large portion of the AFL that doesn't like game day. Um, they like what it does for them socially or financially, or um, even from an, an emotional egotistical perspective, what it does to their position in the community. But they don't like the feeling that this is pass or fail. This is a, this is a big test for me. Um, you know, imagine sitting an exam every week 
on a weekend, like, you know, if in, at your uni, like that would be pretty exhausting after a while. Some people would thrive and think, yep, this is me. I, I need to learn. I need to, this is testing me. Other people would be like, this sucks. This is really nerve wracking, but I love the study component. Um, so I think there would be a large portion of the AFL that doesn't really enjoy game day. Do you think that's social media and the newspapers, the meet, the pressure from the media is the biggest part of that? Or is it, is it mostly from the, the, the club itself, like the coach and, or the fans? What, what plays the biggest, the biggest part in the pressure? I think it definitely is the, uh, the, the social um, observation of the game. Everyone has an opinion now. Everyone, like there's however many million reporters now on Instagram because everyone has their opinion. So, and like the only reporters that I really respect now are the ones that back it up with stats and there's evidence rather than just an opinion piece. Like, cause I feel that's, that can be quite damaging because players see it regardless of, or, or hear it, whether it's my mum or dad reading it and they say, Oh, you know, it's okay. Like, Oh, what have you read now? Like it's, it gets back to us in some capacity. So I think that definitely has has a part to play in and I think it needs the the accountability and I know there's a new law that's been passed about trolling and things like that on social media um, and I think there definitely needs to be more professional accountability in the in the reporting space but um, we know that that's what comes with the territory so you can't have your cake and eat it too if you want to come into the AFL system you've got to know that's a part of it but and I think it's also it is becoming such a intense um, lifestyle that you can't even go out and have a coffee with someone. You can't go and have a beer at the footy. You know, some the Port Adelaide kids going to the ten, going to the swimming, and they were eating food and took their mask off, like automatically scrutinised. Like it's just really, it can be a really heavy burden to bear for young players. Did it affect you a lot? What, what people wrote about you or said about you? Um. I can remember one time when it really did. So the whole staging sort of saga, like when, and like you've got to understand that players, the good players are always trying to find loopholes, always trying to beat the system. You're not just going to go, okay, I'm going to take what the game's giving me and just do the best that I can. No one's that athletically gifted. Maybe Buddy Franklin, that's about it. But you have to find loopholes. And so my loophole was... um, because I couldn't scrag anymore. It was sort of pushing, finding angles, sort of shunting players under the ball, which was technically pushing the back, but it was legal because I wasn't pushing them in the back. And so then that sort of started to get taken away and the rules started to get changed. And so I, you know, tried different positions and then I'd stand in front and I would sort of lean forward and then that would sort of, I'd get the free kick. So like then it's that I got done for staging against Essendon. Uh, And then it seemed like every week, as soon as I put myself in a position of the front space and I sort of made any sort of movement forward, up the staging again. Like, so I do remember times when it did particularly like frustrate me and I changed my game as a result of it, which was really, I should never have done. Hmm. Um, but then I, I reset myself and I was like, you know, cause I had like a two or three game patch where I was just like getting so frustrated and almost changing my game because of what the media was saying about me. Yeah rather than just do what you do. Like if you give a free kick away, who cares? But at least it's your brand. Yeah. Did you, is that because you cared what people thought about you or was it more like your family reading that stuff or what, what's the, what was the reason it affected you that much to change your game? Um, I think it did affect me because 
there is a large element of shame that comes with clickbait. Yeah. Like you don't, they don't say um, uh, like Alex Rance made a forward, made a forward movement, a questionable forward movement in the game. It's like Alex Rance staged. Yeah. Alex Rance is a stager. This is a blight on his career. Mm. Like all of that, they're like shaming comments. They're mm-hmm. really like personal attacks. It's not just like, you're not, commentating on the action anymore you're, you're now calling my values into question yep. and saying that i'm trying to bring the game into disrepute by trying to be a better player like so i think it definitely did affect me personally and, it, and of course by extension it affects my family because my old man you know at, at work like yeah you know, and he was he was a hard man like he'd been in a few scuffles in his time and um on the field obviously um mm-hmm. and, and you know and someone coming to him and saying oh geez you, your boy looks a bit soft doesn't he like, how, how do you reckon that would affect my old man and, and even my relationship? He might come up to me and go, mate, you got to cut that staging stuff out. So just like, hang on, just because one flog has said that it's a, it's a staging act, you've now caused an awkward conversation between a father and a son. That's the damage that, that misreporting can do. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting to think about, especially you, you didn't talk much footy with your dad, did you? It was You kind of wanted to keep it separate. Yeah, like we, because it is that professional boundary. Like I would never talk to him about, um, you know, what his profit and loss is for the real estate business that he runs or, you know, what's your marketing strategy yeah. for, for the ferries that he runs or, you know, different, like what's what's your, how many jets have you got coming into the jet base for Paul? Like, you know, I don't, I don't have those business chats with him. It's kind of like a weird thing to talk about. So for me, that was my job now. And I was lucky enough that he understood that, that he, if I wanted his advice, he would give it to me. But the best thing about having a father that had been there is he understood the emotional side. So he, like tactically, we wouldn't really talk that much, but emotionally we would like, you know, when you have a bad game, he would already preempt it with the text, like, or if it's coming up to a big game, he would already preempt it and know how you feel. Um, and I feel like that's my goal now as a retired player is, to not hound players or, you know, you should have done this, you should have done that, but it's to preempt the the potential lows that are there. If a player has a bad game, call them up for a chat. You don't have to talk footy. It eventually it'll get round to it. You know it will, but it's it's about being there for a support. Are you going to get into AFL coaching? Because, you you know, you said you've loved it. You loved your time obviously coaching the or being a mentor for the VFL boys when they won the flag, but... Um, I heard a comment you said about maybe the media would be too a cutthroat or you didn't like that aspect of coaching. Is that what would keep you out of it? Um, I, I do love coaching. Like it's my, um, it's probably the thing because, because coaching is just an extension of teaching really. Um, and I think as I get better, apologies on my, uh, <laughs> that's right. You're a busy man. You're a businessman now. So black <laughs> messages. That's let, me right. just, let me just turn these messages off. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, um, so coaching, I, yeah, I, I love, and I think something in me would love to, um, so I'm, I'm coaching developmental skills and developmental, um, athletes at this point in time so year 11 and 12 still finding their way and I think a part of me would love to work again with the elite guys that sort of can pick it up really quick and they can challenge and they can like I think that that really does um, interest me but yeah again it, it comes back to that holistic cost 
So me going back into that sort of environment, what does that do to my weekends? Excuse me, what does that do to my commitment to my family? Um, you know, how can I have a, a spiritual routine that I can feel confident that I'm doing enough with? Um, the media side is probably probably less because you can control that to a certain degree. You don't have to do as many commitments from a, a media perspective, but certainly you get talked about as well. If your line is not doing well, um, then you'll get talked about and scrutinized as well. So I don't know. I, I haven't really put a line through that idea, but it's definitely a pretty big project to weigh up, whether the pros and cons. Hey, are people hesitant to ask you about your faith at all? I mean, I feel a lot of people don't bring up religion. Um, was it brought up at, in the club at all? Um, did people talk to you about it? Uh, like I, I'm, I could read the play. <laughs> pardon the pun. I could read the I could read the play on and off the field. So I could see if this was if it was going to be a bit of a. Um, someone trying to have a laugh at my expense, I'd, I'd roll with it and not really give it much, give it much oxygen. But if it was someone who was genuinely, genuinely interested and I had some really fantastic conversations with Basha mm. um, and with uh, Sean Hampson and with, with Grimesy and, and guys like that, who if they take you aside and go like, Oh, why don't you celebrate birthdays? Or, um, you know, why don't you come to the Christmas party? Or um, why did you do this in this scenario? But, your face says that and sort of, you know, some, and sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. I'm not saying I'm, you know, the second coming of Jesus, but like all I'm saying is now this is the life that I want to live. And this is the moral code that I'm trying to live by. Sometimes I'll pass. Sometimes I won't. But in answer to your question, I think everyone's really hesitant to talk about faith and to talk about religion because, um, it has been the cause of so much um, probably pain in in history, mm. but I think now because it used to be a very judgmental conversation yeah. that you, that it's very um, ram it down your throat. This is what you should believe. Where I think now society is at a point where we can have deeper conversations and ask why, um, and and that's what sort of made me return to my faith being a Jehovah's witness is that I was asking myself these questions, why? And I didn't have the answers. So I needed to search for them. And then I found them and then it was like, okay, this sort of makes sense. And I just, you know, hope that a lot of other people do the same thing. Keep an open mind about like, you know, is, is 80 years all we've got? Why do we die? Like, well, why do good, bad things happen to good people? Is there really a God? Like all these things, all these different questions that like, often just go in the too hard basket and just like, I'm just going to busy myself. Um, yeah. It would be nice if, if more people sort of opened up and chatted about that. Yeah, no, that's good. I think the conversations should be, we should open up and learn about these things. And it looks from the outside that it might be changing slowly in, in the AFL. And obviously the football sport is, is a vehicle to, to change society. And hopefully it is. I mean, you look at, uh, I think there's a book um, written, the football solution, how Richmond's premiership can save Richmond. And it highlighted the, um, the diversity in the, in the group, just by naming the, the first six plays in the Norm Smith medal voting. You got Dusty, who's a, the son of a former bikey boss, they wrote. Hawley, who's a devout Muslim. Alex Rance, a Jehovah's Witness. Shane Edwards, an Indigenous Australia. Dion Prestia, an Italian Australian. Jack Graham, a teenager from, from northern suburbs of Adelaide, all getting together and accepting each other and learning about each other's cultures. So what, is it like that actually inside? From, from the outside, it looks like it's changing, but to be in it, 
what, what was the culture like? You very much. They, they, that I haven't read that statement before, but I feel like they've nailed it. And that, um, that legacy is Ivan Marich's. Like, of if it had to go to one person, it, when he came along, he was the one that was most proud of his um, being Croatian. His family, he he introduced us to the Dinamo Soccer Club in St Albans. Yeah. Like, yeah. his mum would come in and and cook us amazing feeds for lunch and stuff. Like, it was, and he was teaching us about um, you know Croatian culture and language and stuff like that, which empowered other people to be like hey I want to do that too like you know so then the indigenous boys started to feel more proud that this is acceptable like you know this is my tribe my language my family my um beliefs and then Basha was very strong on that too I probably wasn't as um because I was still sort of working out my own faith at that stage I wasn't as probably vocal about being a Jehovah's Witness and um you know, the things that I did and didn't um, sort of stand for at that time. But, um, yeah, it, it is very true that the um, Richmond culture is super inclusive and allows opportunities for people to say their piece and say their truth. Brilliant. I wanted to ask you about 2019. Obviously, it was a, it was a big uh, big year for you. You played AFLX. Uh, no, but round, round one, I guess <laughs> round one against Carlton is, is that, when, that was about the pinnacle of it. I think that was the yeah, that was that was good. It was a good moment. You unfortunately did your ACL. I'm still getting over it. Um, when was the moment you actually decided you would retire and, and wouldn't come back? Was it the chat with Dima about the possibility of playing in the grand final? So from like 2015 onwards, this idea of finishing football was always in the back of my mind like is this really what I want to do like because I'd sort of um from a individual perspective I'd kind of reached what I'd want to what I wanted to achieve I'd been all Australian a couple of times I'd won a Jack Dye medal in 2015 so I was kind of like okay I've 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 done what I came here to achieve from an individual perspective. I don't know if we're going to win a flag. I'd like to win a flag. Mm -hmm. And I think that was always like the thing in the back of my mind. If I win a flag, I'll probably retire. Um, And so it was always just this nagging thought. And I always had other things on the go in my life, which sort of inspired me and um, made me sort of pine for the grass on the other side. So um, 2017 won the flag and was just kind of like, like, wow, that now, now it is complete. Like now I've, I've been all Australian multiple times, all Australian captain, best and fairest premiership. Like the rest is greed. Like what else could I want out of this AFL career? And so I had some years left on my contract. And so from that point, it was kind of like, it's not a matter of, um, you know, if I will, it's when I will. Um, and so, you know, the next year was challenging. It was probably our best year from uh, um, uh, like performance standpoint, 2018. And then obviously Mason Cox has the game of his career and, um, you know, knocks us out of the finals and I have a, I have a stinker. Um, and it's kind of just like, I need redemption from that. I can't, I can't finish now. And then, and like all of these are just like really sort of, like egotistical, selfish emotions, which is just so superficial, which are not really important, but all part of the journey. And then sort of 2019 rolled around and I was like, well, I 
one of AFLX sounds like fun. Like that may never be done again. So I did that. So it's kind of like, let's just do all the cool things that I, you know, want to do. So I played that, really enjoyed that. Um, and then did my knee. So it was kind of like, okay, let's just stop and take stock of what's happened over the last five years. Um, you really thought about finishing the game in 2015. You've won a lot of stuff. You've achieved a lot with a great group. Why are you still here? Um, and so it was going through that rehab process and I, I, I never, I never wanted to just give up and say, you know what, I've done my knee. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Uh, I wanted to get back and I wanted to play in the grand final because I believed that I could. So, and I talked to the um, uh, Julian fellow, who was my surgeon. We both believed that we could talk to um, some of the, the docs and physios at Richmond. It was going to be a push. Um, and so it was always, let's just play it week by week. And so as the time went on, it had to get to a point where it's like, I'm either playing or I'm not. And regardless, I'm retiring at the end of the year. So what's the risk you've got? Because if I do it again, you're not having to pay me out for another year. And, you, you know, um, but then the question became, if I do it, what will the collateral damage be on the group? If it was in a specific game, like the grand final, and we lost, would I be able to deal with that kind of stuff? So that's when it boiled down to me not being able to play, but I be, not being yeah selected to play, but I believe that I could have played physically. Um, and the way the Richmond played, we could have been without four or five players because it was an absolute route. But um, yeah, like that. And then, but so I'd sort of already made at the start of the year after a bit of reflection, I'd already pretty much made up my mind that that was going to be the last year of my career. Well, yeah, it's a very selfless thing to do. And well, you've spoken about how you want to be remembered. I guess it's based on your values and that sort of thing, rather than the on-field um, success. You didn't even like me reading out the intro. It's all about you as a person rather than the play. You're going to be remembered as one of the greatest uh, defenders in the in the history of the game. But as a person, your values, how would you like to be remembered, Ramsey? Um just a very supporting, supportive, um, and I don't know the best way to describe this sort of next part, but light-hearted but professional. So being able to make the best of a bad situation, um, and a really hard worker, um, and and wanting the best for others. Um, I think that's that's the type of person that I wanted to be. Is that we work hard together. We have fun together in challenging situations. We hold each other accountable and we make sure that we're all doing the right thing because at the end of the day, if I do well, you do well. And if you do well, I do well. Um, and I want to help you get there. Like that's, that's, that's all I would like to be remembered for. And I, I hope that that legacy is carrying on into the next part of my life. That, that that's all I want for these young kids now is to, to help them, um, yeah, selfishly, it makes me feel good to help other people, but I hope that it's a, it's a mutual exchange. Yep. hundred percent. I love that Rancy. You are a champion. What I do with all of my guests, I end with 10 quick questions. So the first thing that pops into your head, okay, you're good at this. All right. Your favorite, your favorite food. Pizza. Your favorite movie. Interstellar. Which opponent sledged you the most? Steve Johnson. Which person on the footy show are you most like? Or were you most like? Obviously, when you were there, it's no longer exist. Uh, probably Shane Crawford or Sam Newman. 
Mm. You released the book about a monkey, a rabbit, and a tiger. What animal's next? A potato. It's not an animal, but it's a vegetable. But it's, it's coming out. So. <laughs> it's confirmed it's going to come out the, the baked potato, isn't it? Yeah, the baked potato. So it's, uh, yeah, I, uh, I've, I've written it all and it's, I'm challenging myself to make it a rhyming one. A rhyming one? Oh, good, good. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Uh, how many hours did you sleep the night before the grand final? Ten. Ten? Oh, easy. You didn't get anxious or anything? Before? Not really. That's good because you used to throw up before games, didn't you, in your first half of your career? Did that just go, yeah. the anxiety? <clears throat> yeah, it was because uh, I was... I did get really nervous before games and I'd sort of make myself throw up just to try and release, okay, yeah. relieve, relieve a bit of uh, stress. But um, after a little while, and like especially that year before the, excuse me, before the 2017 grand final, we were just on a, on a roll. Like it was just kind of like Geelong, GWS, Adelaide. Like it was just kind of, it didn't really feel like it was building up to this crescendo moment. It was just kind of like, yep, this is just sort of the next step in the journey. So it, I didn't really feel that nervous before the game. Good. Uh, if there was a movie made about your life, which actor would you like to play you? Mr. Bean or Kramer. <laughs> Kramer would be good. That would be good. Be- best thing you learned from Terry Wallace? Best thing I learned from Terry Wallace. Uh, don't buy a solarium and put it in your house. <laughs> Damien Hardwick's gift giving before games is well known now. What's what's the favourite gift that you've been given from, from Dimmer? Uh, a vinyl record. Yeah, nice. Which which one? Which record? He's given a few, hasn't he? The vinyl record. Yeah, he's given a few. I think he gave us um, he gave us a couple. So he gave us Queen, mm-hmm. uh, ACDC. Yeah. Um, do you have a record player at home? I did. I did. Oh, okay. uh, I'm I'm too impatient now. Like I just I just <laughs> like after like 20 minutes you have to jump up and flip it over. Yeah. Uh, too hard. Too hard. All right, last one. Your favourite quote of all time. Favourite quote of all time. Um, man, I wish I had a word of me up on this one. Yeah, I should have. I apologise. <laughs> but you're usually, you're usually uh, looking your feet. Uh, but you know why it is? Because you've got so many quotes that I've heard you say. So it's like, which one do I pick? Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got a few. Um, my favourite quote of all time. Uh, yeah. Eagles may soar, but... Weasels don't get caught in jet engines. You do you. Very nice. Very nice. I love it. Alex Rands, absolute pleasure, mate. I can't thank you enough for coming on and having a chat with me. Uh, it was a great highlight for me, mate. I, uh, yeah, I appreciate it so much. Thank you. No worries, Jimmy. Number 18, Alex Rance. Right, here we go, fellas. Time for my second favourite part of the show. That was riveting, wasn't it? Got to talk to Alex Trans. I'm, exa- I'm emotionally exhausted after that. So this is good. I can relax a little bit for the Monday review panel on a Wednesday. You guys can take over. You've got the stats. You've got all the numbers in front of you. Let's talk footy. Uh, first, I want to ask how you are because that's a polite thing to do and I nearly forgot. Are, are we are excited? You? You, sound, you sound drained. I'm excited. Nick, are you excited? <laughs> I'm very excited. I used up all my excitement for the uh, Alex Trans. As, as you would. He's yeah. your boy. He's Always boy. has been. 
I always has seen in your eyes that you just, you. you're just so excited. Yeah, my tired eyes because there's been a lot of sport on. There's been a big week. There's been Euros, A-League. There's been announcements to my family. There's been footy on. There's been everything. <laughs> so, boys, uh, you got to take over here. Who's your hero of the weekend, Nick? My hero is Tommy Stewart. And this is probably not the first time I've gone with Stewart this season, to be honest. Yeah, I, I can't really remember. Mm. But... Um, yeah, I mean, despite the rivalry I have with Geelong being a Hawthorne supporter, my fondness for this man just keeps growing. He was unbelievable mm. on the weekend. He Look, despite Gary Rowan's uh, final kick for goal that did win Geelong the game, mm. I don't think the Cats win without Tom Stewart nah, on Friday night. Um, the man had 13 marks, 27 disposals, 24 of them were kicks, 15 intercept possessions. Mm. Uh, 700 metres gained, six intercept possessions, all from defence. Like, you don't see these numbers from a defender. And the thing is, is he's been doing it consistently all mm. season. Now, if the Brown Low wasn't a midfielder's medal and we had to decide now who the best player has been all season, I'm going Stuart. Jack Rowe. Oh, yeah. I'm going Tommy Stewart. He, he, he would take my sure. money. Yeah, no, he was fantastic. He's been, he's been consistent. This is a Geelong a time in their run. Um, you guys put a line through them early on in the season. You uh, said that were trash. Did not. You guys put lines through them. No, no, my preview for the grand final. <laughs> early on, maybe. You oh, no. put a line through yeah, them. Yeah, I, I, line I, through I'm, I'm sticking with that. They, they Just because be. I compliment Tom Stewart doesn't mean okay. I'm jumping well, on the Cats Well, they're a better side than they were last season, in my opinion. They're timing their run perfectly, and his game, it's it takes it to an next level all the time. His intercept possessions are crucial, uh, especially when it comes to finals when you're um, setting up in defence. Gordo... Who is your hero? I think it's a from Geelong. The, from the same game. It's obviously, <laughs> it's welcome game. to the Geelong Purcast. Um, mine's Gary Pedro Rowan. Foley for, if this actually, in fact, is in Pedro. fact his, his middle name. We have, that is, well, that Wiki- is TBC. Wikipedia has never been wrong. Correct. So it's, correct. It's, it's That's what we be told Pedro. our high school teachers when we did have to do our appointments and uh, assessments late. But uh, Geelong fans, let us know, is his name actually Pedro? Or Gary Rowan, jump on as our next guest. Uh, next yeah. week, it'll be lovely to chat to you, Pedro. But <laughs> for the second time in his career, a goal after the sign to siren. win the game, and he got the accolades from his coach saying that he would trust no other man more than Pedro to kick the goal. <laughs> Sounds like a song from ABBA. After, yeah, after the, after the siren. How so. good is that? How good is that? Is but Paul- it wasn't just the goal either. It was the clutch contested mark. Yeah, that was a strong mark. That's probably better that than was, the goal. You was. expect him to no, kick 100%. the goal. Hey, the, kick, small the forward, kick actually... The f- it, it, it was going offline, off <laughs> and then it came back yeah. to perfection. He was but using the wind to his advantage. That's, yeah. That was a strong contested mark. Now, I'll tell you what, Nico, the dogs, though, there's question marks asked how that's able to happen. How that's able to happen. You know, you know you've know, you got, what is it, 30 seconds left. You're not able to lock down the game. You're able to get yeah. a – it was a contested – people were calling it an uncontested mark. It was a contested mark, but he was by himself for a while. Mm. So, but is that poor, because of poor defence from the dogs or yep. is that because of Mate. great ball movement from the Cats? Because we did see yeah, a lot of footage during the week. Close that off, I reckon. But a lot of footage during the week where the a lot of the cats wingers and defenders left their men obviously went. We'd rather lose by yeah, yeah and then they lose by an extra space. goal than it is to, to yeah. It's true, it. but they should have had a wall set up in defence. The dogs. That, that's what you see when you're trying to lock out a game in the final minute. Mm-hmm. You've got a lead, um, but the ball gets transitioned. I think it was Dangerfield just booted it up forward, and it was a one-on-one contest. Mm. And obviously when the Cats have space, they just, you know, peered off into the forward half and 
uh, it was just mayhem and it ended up with Gary Rowan. True. Nico, I wanted to ask because you're very critical of Gary Rowan. You said he can't play finals. He can't play a grand final. I don't know I've never, I've never about, criticised the player in my entire life. I wanted to ask you, why is it that he can kick a clutch goal like this? And you said to me before the show, you said, well, why can't he perform in finals if he's a clutch player? <laughs> well, I don't know why you're putting words in my mouth, but um, yeah, I mean, he's a good kick for goal. What can I say? Yeah. And he's a clutch player. He's done it for Sydney before as well. He has. Just always in the right spot at the right time. Well, not in the grand final you were saying grand finals what was I saying this? <laughs> he goes missing in grand finals he was saying I hope he can perform when it comes to the pointy end of the season and you like it Dad. it was terrific Nico what was your highlight my highlight was a turnout in Launceston Launce- in Launce- in sorry um, and although the brown and gold the mighty brown and gold was drowned out by the tsunami of the red and black it was still great to see such an atmosphere at Utah Stadium something we haven't seen there for a while because of the sort of fixtures it does draw obviously there's not many blockbusters down there but yeah for the Essendon fans that um, that do live in Tassie I mean to get the opportunity to see their team play uh, was great obviously hence the turnout but um, you know, they certainly didn't let their voices go unheard and I reckon that's what pushed them on in that final few minutes. Well, this, the this season you've suggested that the dream time at the G should go walk about and be hosted at different grounds each year. Would you like to see the Lion in the Sand game? A regular fixture in Tasmania, <laughs> Nico? Uh, no, probably not. Uh, I'm a bit selfish. I want that kept in Melbourne thing so I can attend yeah, it. Very selfish. No, it's nice. It was the first time, I think, since 1993, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like the that. early 90s. They, they yeah. played in, in Tasmania. So they've obviously got, you know, it's no surprise that Tasmania's got a good footy community behind them. They love their footy. They support different teams from all over the country. So the Essendon supporters over there were longing to see their players in the flesh and uh, they went out, turned out and saw a big win, which was great to see Hawks lose. I loved it. Gordo, what's your highlight? My what highlight, was your highlight from my, the weekend? My highlight from the weekend was a bit of shin bonus spirit showing through. And Ooh, so they lost. We, we, they lost, but <laughs> the Roos are doing something. So a lot of clubs are getting, are getting chastised this season. A lot of coaches have been put in the gun. But I think David Noble's got the Roos playing with at least a set style. So that if you are a Roos fan, and there are very few of them, but if you were a Roos fan, you could turn up to a game and know what you're going to get week in, week out. You can't get that if you're a Saints fan. You can't get that mm. if you're a Carlton fan. There are no Gold Coast fans, but if you if there were, they couldn't get that either. And so Sorry, there Gold are a lot Coast of clubs fans. at the moment that are struggling to know what, they, what their club's going to give. North is missing a lot of things. They're missing a lot of talent. They're missing a lot of experience. But what they aren't missing is a bit of heart and a bit of dedication and a bit of discipline. Mm. And so I, I think there is what you can you can build upon that and you can try and build a story around to get retention, to get some talent, to get some draft picks and build from there. I, I do agree with you. Sorry, James. No, go, go, go. Um, but it's funny you bring that up on the same week that Kane Corn says that North Melbourne are the worst team in the AFL era. Well, only, only, only three or ago. four weeks ago he said that Hawthorne was the worst team of the, I know, of the AFL era. So maybe we should stop, you know, yeah. thinking about Kane Corns and, 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 and his opinion. Be careful because I'm going to try and get him on as a guest <laughs> soon. So. No, I love you, Kane. I, like, I enjoy what he says. I agree with it all the time. Um, North, yeah, you do know what you're getting at every week, a loss, but... No, no, they did, they did. They put in an effort, but I thought Brisbane were shocking. They were poor. They just got the four points and that's it. And you can go home. And But I, I, like, I like David Noble. I like what he's trying to do there. He, but do we live in a Barney world? Like, is, is Brisbane playing poorly because North is playing well? Isn't that a possibility? It's a possibility. Watching that game, I think they just didn't show up. 
They were leading in the third quarter, weren't they, though, North? So, yeah, yeah you've got to do something right to lead. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. And Brisbane are a genuine contender as yeah. well. Hey, Nico, what was your low light? My low light is the, well, all comparisons to Dustin Martin, but this week it was Jake Stringer's turn. Um, every time a mid-slash-forward has a good game, the comparisons start and you get compared to Dusty and oh, there's just nothing grinds my gears more, really. Like, I mean, oh, well, well done things. to Stringer. Any comments about Hawthorne grind your oh, gears pretty it. well. True. Yeah. Um, but well done to Stringer for having a great game. I mean, he tore the game open, won the game off his own boot, really. Um, it was incredible, did some freakish mm. things. But, you know, you can't – people – the AFL media in particular can't compliment him without – referring to Dustin Martin and it's not fair on either of them. Uh, the media just loves to hype someone up till they reach the top just to tear them down again. And a perfect example of that is uh, Jordan Degoe. Uh So just, you know, let these players be, let them play football and just stop comparing them. Because I, re- I re- remember about 10 or so years ago when, or probably wouldn't have been 10 years ago when Eric Hipwood stepped onto the scene and the, uh, yeah, the comparison started to be made towards Buddy Franklin. So mm. stop putting unnecessary pressure on players. Just Whack. Yeah. Why um, do we think it happens? Why are we looking for the next Dusty? Well, for no, a headline. Yeah, of, course it's, of course it's a headline. And also it's a bye week, so there's less to talk about. But the second thing is I didn't actually read the comments of when they said, oh, he looked like – I think there was a goal and they kicked it and with one arm and he said that was Dustin Martin-like. Now, that's instead of saying, that. oh, what a goal, that was great. That's that's the top compliment you could give a player is that is Dustin Martin-like mm. stuff. So And then it, it kind of rolls snowball effect into well, we had Stringer's come the out, next Dustin Martin. early in the season and saying Stringer needs his contract to be, to be locked away, he needs to be paid as much as he wants to be kept there at Essendon. He wins games of Essendon. He wins games for Essendon like Dusty wins games for Richmond. That's that's all the stuff's been rolled out since, which mm. is what Nick talking fit. about. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean when he's fit. I mean that's a fit. Uh, good on Stringer for that performance. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, he can stay fit, go sign a new contract, and and look after yourself and set yourself up and your family up post footy. If he can perform like that, at, all he's got to do is on a consistent basis because, you know, we've seen what he can do when he when he is um, when he's on his game. It is against Hawthorne though. History so history would suggest though, as you said, it, it's doing it against clubs that are outside the eight. He's also not doing it week in week out. Mm. So if you were an Essendon fan, how much would you be willing to pay to keep him? Like, how much is he worth to you as Essendon? Is he this match winner, or is he is he a match winner week in week out? Probably not at the moment. So, oh. how much would you want to pay a player that wins you one game a month? As well, that's the to test, isn't it? If you can do it, but the things are changing now. I'm I'm not avoiding the question, but Zach Merritt signing on is huge for Essendon. It's the mm. biggest thing that could have happened. Obviously, he's been very vocal about the Essendon culture and that it wasn't how he liked it. Even last year, it wasn't as he expected, and he was going to weigh up his options if it didn't improve. For him to sign off and commit the rest of his career to that Essendon club is absolutely huge. And now you you're hoping that the rest of the players there feel the same way. And that they're going to start. This is this is creating a, a snowball effect again. And Stringer is hopefully going to be consistent. Uh, Kane Corns doesn't like to think so because last year he came in fit. And actually, I love Kane Corns. I want him on the show, and I agree with him. Um, Would you prioritize Stringer over other players at Essendon? Uh, not prioritize. If you had to, no, you had to keep not. him and lose two, you wouldn't do it. No, you wouldn't. Oh, do I think it. there's players ahead of him. There's, yeah, yeah, there's players ahead of him. Yeah. Parish, for example. Whereas you wouldn't McGrath. lose Dusty. As we just said, the comparison to Dusty is mm. null and void because Richmond is signing Dusty. Dusty walks in yep. each year, basically says, How much do you want? Here's a blank check. No, well, it's, yeah, well, and he took less instead of going to North. 
Yeah. Sure. So you basically well, Bonds actually comes into Richmond and says, "What's the gap that Dusty wants?" <laughs> and then fills out the blank. Well, yeah, yeah. And it shows you've got to actually pay not to play for North. It's funny. Um, your low light. My low light is that we're in the depths of winter here in Melbourne. We are. And I'm a bit concerned that the sun may never rise again. <laughs> However, this is this is the Gold Coast sun we're mm. talking about. It's a bit of deja vu, so I've done some number digging and bashing the Gold Coast suns during the buy rounds is you know, a habitual habit. Yeah, Much like over, overeating in winter <laughs> and the rest of the things we do once they are, we hit the June-July period. But yeah. after the buy, they oh. just don't win games. Oh, so Excel Mc- spreadsheet here. Yeah, Guy McKenna. This uh, era was 12 and 38 after the bye. The Rodney Ear era was uh, 9 and 25. And Stuart Jew is 2, 1 draw and 29 losses after the bye. A winning percent after the bye of 8%. 8%. So they okay. won't win again. Historically speaking, they won't win again this season. Or they might scrape one win. They're playing North on the weekend. If history repeats. That's if history repeats itself. Okay, yeah. So everyone's saying, how do we fix the Suns? The first thing we always go to is like, let's sack the coach. Mm. Well, they've done that. McKenna lasts four years. Ed, Ed Rust, three years. Stuart Jew is now in his fourth year as well. If we sack the coach, we're going to get the same thing because we're doing the same thing over and over at the Suns. Yeah, I, I think if if anyone thinks that the coach is the biggest problem here, they haven't been watching footy long enough or they haven't been listening to people who have been around that environment. Everyone who's come out, not everyone, everyone I've spoken to who's come out of Gold Coast Suns in the past have said they don't train hard enough, the standards aren't high enough, and... What happens is players get injured. That means they lose, and that means players want to leave. Mm. And when they they're offered a check and saying, "Hey, come to Melbourne, where you're from," who's going to say no? They've lost so many players. Player retention is the biggest thing. Now, from what we can tell, is that the players actually love Stewie Jew. They like him. He's a culture builder. He's someone they want to play for. It, that's not the problem. The problem is not the coach. The problem is keeping players there, and they've got it. Yes, they have to win. But they've got to sort out something else. So is it the fitness staff? Is it why are these things happening? But looking at this year, like they're not their injuries haven't been as horrific as they have been in the past, but they've lost some crucial players. If Matt Rowell comes, they were probably expecting him to perform a little bit better than he did when he came in. He's been a little bit sluggish the first two games, which is fair enough, because he was he was a superhero when he first mm. started. Um, I don't think sacking the coach is the problem, and I think he's been put on the blowtorch this week uh, because it's a bye week and there wasn't as many games and it was kind of like, hey, who haven't we picked on? We'll pick on Stewie Jew. Things got to change, no doubt, but I don't think it's the head coach. So do you take an outside approach, and I'm going to borrow from Justin Leppage here, and he said Mm -hmm. basically you need to sign your core. So we need to make sure that Matt Rowe stays. We need to make sure that Reichen stays. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that there's probably five or six, pick our core and pay them and probably have to pay them overs. So that yeah, they don't go fine. somewhere else. Yep. Uh, and then everyone else around that has responded saying, well, that's ridiculous. We can't do that. You're rewarding mediocrity. They haven't earned those those pay rises. No, no. But can can the Suns do the unpopular thing? And really, it'll be unpopular for a week and you, then it's a different headline yeah, you the have week to, after. Yeah, you have to. And build and secure a core. Yeah, well, even in world like world football, other sports, wage um, amount equates to wins. It's not how much you sign a player for or how much you put a new coach on or whatever. It's wage amount because then they're more likely to stay, they're more likely to accept the environment and like adapt to it, mm. and they're happy. And that's gonna that's gonna create um, this culture that that they need. So I'd be locking down Took Miller, Matty Rao, the main players there, and they're adding little bits like Greenwood's been good. Brandon Ellis has been pretty pretty good. Markov's been good. They're adding these little bits and pieces and we'd have liked it to click a little bit earlier, 
But it's not the end of the world. Mm. It's not, I but think. I I would worry. I will worry if they do lose to North Melbourne this weekend. Mm. It won't be a good look. Like, I agree with you guys. I, I don't agree with just sacking a coach when performances don't go your way. You have to stick out. Um, you have to, yeah, you have to stick out with them for the long run, um, put the trust in them because after a while, like we've seen with Dimmer, um, you have to give them time for results to come. Um, but it's going to be hard if they come out this week and lose to Gold Coast by however much. What do you mean it's hard? No, I, I agree with you because then that shows, hey, North are maybe further in development than the Suns well, and there's no it. excuse for that. But what do you mean you worry? Like, is it like, is it that? Well, you I'm, think I'm that just Duke saying, I'm go, saying. Stewart Jew could could go. I think questions, I think the board, I think the Gold Coast board will be asking questions of Stewie Jew because, I mean, this, the Suns have been getting top draft picks for, for a while now that are still in the team, I mean. Like your Matty Rouse, you know Anderson's, your um, Jack Lacocious, like they are well ahead of North Melbourne. And although it's just one game, you, you'd still expect them to come out and and beat the Roos. You don't want to be known as, that, uh, as the second team uh, that has lost North Melbourne this season. I know North have beaten Hawthorne, and that's what you'd probably expect. If you were looking at their fixture, you would be saying, okay, who can North Melbourne beat? Hawthorne, yep, done. Maybe Adelaide, but it shouldn't be Gold Coast. Gold Coast shouldn't be one of those teams. Hey, should uh, Joel Sell would have been suspended rather than just a fine? Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. This this guy is... Oh, here we go. You might is, love Tom Stewart, but I have a, have a hunch that oh you might no, hate Joel Going from Joel hero Selwood. to villain. Um, Joel Salwood is the ambassador for, for ambassador for Auskick. Yes. And what he did on Friday night is a bad look. I don't care what you say. I know you're you're ready to pounce on no, me to defend Joel I'm, Salwood. No, I'm not ready to pound. <laughs> yeah, ready to punch. No. <laughs> no, um, what he did, I mean... The AFL have been talking about oh, head knocks and head collisions, concussions, all that sort of thing. And it's not a good look for him to be drilling someone's head into the dirt with his fist, stomping on someone's leg. And I know Chris Scott came out and said uh, that he believes Joel Salwood when he says it that it was an accident. The stepping, yeah, the stomping one. Or, yeah. But I don't care if it's an accident. It looked intentional and it probably was intentional regardless of what he said. And... The, the worst thing is that the action followed through. It, he did it. So he should be suspended it's for not the, it. It's not the first time he's done some of these things. The whole the whole point of this is what's going to d- deter him from doing it again? Is a few thousand dollar fine going to stop him? Probably not. Is a week going to stop him? Probably. Yeah. I reckon. I, would, I wouldn't have been disappointed but if you got a week for is that. The, not is the, the stomping. Is the, media, the, the one in the, the, is the media mature enough to cop it then? Because then that will, what happen is that you know, the, the, there's two sides of this. There's the people that say, let's stamp out the head contact, the knickers of the world, and there's the people that stamp, want to say, like, oh, you know, your game's going soft. And no. then we go, like, the, when we had the gut punch crackdown, everyone yeah, was like, I oh, it's just... Sure. I know what there's you mean. There's no right to put your fist in someone's I've always face. Been, I'm sorry, I've always, but... I've always said, like, if it's a football act and someone gets hit, fine, whatever. But if it's on the bottom of the pack and he's putting his hand around his eye area, hmm. like a dirty act, which hmm. is intentional. It's a grub. It's, it's a grub. like... You shouldn't be doing that, mate. Like I know, I like players that play on the edge, and sometimes you can go over because it's hard to stop. Mm. And, and I've he backed gets up, defended. I backed a bit. up Tom Lynch a little bit in the past as well. I've said yeah. you like him to play on the edge. Sometimes he can go over. You'd like if you said, "Hey, it's one week for that." That's mm. the stomping thing. Maybe yeah, okay, maybe it was an accident. I don't know. But the, yeah, the the uh, the face one, I, I didn't like that. He's the would, AFL Golden's boy. You can't deny that. 
He gets looked after more oh. than other players. Well, you see that because you look through Hawthorne glasses. And no, oh, this has got nothing is. to do with Hawthorne. <laughs> okay. Talking about the player. I think he's just a smarter, dirty player than others. Like, He's probably as, as dirty as, as Toby Green, though. But Toby Green does that. things that like are uh, explicit and mm. like big. Like he does the little the little nudge. He can he can go to the tribunal and say, "Oh, it's an I just nudged his head. I just grazed his head. I fell over and I put my hand down." He's not going out whacking blokes. Yes, but he yeah. should still be going oh, for 100%. it. Hundred percent. I'm just saying he's doing. He's very intelligent about how. Yeah, he but does can't his they see through that? I don't. Gordon. Gordon. From sports, make and see through it. Yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> but the AFL can't. Be on the AFL tribunal. That's exactly. Right. Hey, I wasn't. I wasn't against uh, Chris Scott coming out and backing up his man. That's what a good coach should yeah. do. Come up, come out, and back your players. It doesn't make, does. You don't know what he's going to say behind the scenes. You probably <laughs> tell him off. But in front of the cameras, you back up your boys. Um, Nick wrote these questions this week because I have busy. This one was. This is shocking. Does St Kilda need to go back to the draft? Can I answer oh, first? Okay. Probably can I just, need to back can to I just clarify? Can I, can I? This, these aren't my questions. These are the no, questions no, no. that have been asked. Being in asked the in the media, I'm just saying you mentioned it as like something I wouldn't even mention. Maybe you've got a different opinion, which is why you mentioned that. No way. They've got so <laughs> the many injuries. On the injury ladder, um, they are up the top. They've they've lost the most crucial players and they've lost the most players. Do they need to go back to – they've still got – I've said this. They've got the window open next year. Mm. Okay? That's my opinion. That's the funny uh, thing about the, the buy rounds is that – if a team is out of contention and before the before the season started we had them in contention, it's not, oh, let's look at the reasons why St Kilda won't play the finals this year. It's St Kilda's stuffed, blow them up. And then you blow up mm. the five or six teams that won't make finals for the next five to six weeks. Mm. Then you've got four weeks to finals and we start talking about finals again. But yeah, that's right. My, 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 I've said this every week. Uh, personnel is not the issue for St Kilda, I think, when you look at their list. It's, it's their men- mentality. Yeah. Um, and I think when the players come back, that may switch. But do you think they... Well, just just to clarify, I think it was David King saying they should trade two players for draft picks. So it's not like a complete draft overhaul we're talking about. Mm. We're talking about maybe Billings and I think it was Seb Ross maybe getting okay. traded off for draft picks, which I don't think is a bad idea. I don't think Billings has turned out to be the player they thought he would be. He, he was picked ahead of Bont and Pally, just to give you a mm. bit of context. Um, and Seb Ross, I don't think um, he's an integral part of that midfield as much as a few other yeah. players. Well, he so, he would have mentioned that in terms of when, like when's the next window to win the flag, then do we need to start thinking for the future? I still think the window's open next season. It is, it is. Back, so it hasn't changed for me. Uh, the bye weekend, boys, do you want just one bye weekend so we get no games for one weekend and then we refresh, or do you like it spread out over three weeks? No, nah, just get it over and done with. Everyone have a week off. Um, and just get on with it. Three weeks, it just drags on a bit too much. Gordon? Yeah, I think the, the clean buy would be would be better, but I don't know if that will ever happen just due to the fact that the broadcasting. Yeah, broadcasting, broadcasting one, one game's on. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't think it'll ever happen. But second thing is I actually – sometimes I don't mind it because I like to watch every game of football and sometimes when we don't have a Thursday night, we've got overlapping games and sometimes you've got too many games to concentrate on. When it's good quality football, which we didn't have on Saturday, unfortunately, it's nice to sit down. Saturday was a day you're like, oh, bloody hell, do we really have to have the buy now? But I don't mind if there's good games on, you get to you get to watch one game and then at least your missus is happy, you can watch some Netflix after or something like that. There's not a game all weekend, um, which is, yeah, happy wife, happy life, Gordon, as Gordon always told me. Um Rolling flag favourite, tell me, because it changes every week for us, boys. So who's your flag favourite at the moment? Nico, you go first. Sticking with Melbourne. Sticking with Melbourne. Melbourne. If it was played tomorrow, Melbourne. The Geelong win it this year. Richmond win it this year. I've got no (laughs) doubt. 
As you never do. I never do. I never do. I'm very faithful, and I believe it this year. Do you really believe it, though? Yeah, You're do. sitting eighth. I do. You're sitting eighth on the ladder, that's and you fine. think you'll win the premiership. I do. It's round 14. I do. They believe it, too. That's, that's do. the best part. It's very similar to 2019, okay? And if the boys believe it, anything can happen. Your time, you run, you get games into the, the players who don't usually get games, and then something will happen come finals. Maybe there'll be an injury. There might be some form. Um it plays out of form. We put someone else in. It's it's all good. Dimmer likes to throw Do you the believe that you can win outside that four, though? Outside the top four? Outside the top four. If there's one team that can do it other than the Bulldogs, I think Richmond can. About momentum. <laughs> About momentum. There's belief. So unless they, you know, don't finish in the top I'm, eight, he's backing them. The belief is going to be there until the final siren goes on the loss, if it comes. That's, mm-hmm. I'm going to believe all the way. That's just what happens. It's just what happens when... When you're in this kind of form, go Tigers. Go Tigers. Uh, <laughs> all right, last one. What should Collingwood be aiming to achieve for the remainder of the season? Hope. I don't know. And I don't know how. Hope. Yeah, what, you got to sell hope to, to members, but do you do it through players? Do you do it through wins? That is the tricky thing. The tricky thing is, for me, um, this is a good question, Nico, because I didn't look at these beforehand. I think that the question is, like, say Robert Harvey, right? Yeah. He comes in, if they implement a game, because first my immediate reaction is they want a a game style that they can back up going forward. They want a clear uh, way of playing the game. But if they choose another head coach who's got a different direction, then what does that mean? Mm. So what you'd you'd want as a Collingwood fan, I think you want to see players, it's just effort. You don't have to win. Effort. See the effort. See the love for the boys. You're going to create a culture that, hey, let's play for the jumper. Let's love being here. Let's celebrate everything. Let's celebrate every goal. Let's pick people up off the ground. Let's sell the message that we love being here, okay? And Robert Harvey's going to hold that. He might be assistant coach next year if they get another head coach. In the background, the board, you do your job. You pick the next man and you sort out that mess that's up there in the boardroom. We're gonna, the players are going to play for the jumper. That's all you'd want to see, I reckon. Hashtag side by side. Side by side. But, um, Wouldn't you? No? No, yeah, definitely. Because you're not going to see that. New game plan until the new coach does arrive, and probably not for another couple of seasons. Melbourne came out this year and said it took them four four preseasons to work out how to defend properly. Yeah, so there's mm. nothing that Collingwood can do in 14 yeah. weeks. I think they just got to feed games into kids and sell hope that way. You know, do they, they need to try see. and retain their big dogs? Though? Like, do they, do they need to try and keep Pendles? Do they need to try and keep Grundy? Or, or do they? I mean, yeah, flip you're, you're going to keep Pendles because yeah. he's the yeah. spiritual leader of yeah, the team, Grundy. Yeah. Side oh, bottom is like, I don't know. What do you do? Do you get do you, you get rid of them because they're not going to be there for the next premiership, or do you keep them to instill that, that the culture or that fight mm. that Buckley kind of try to teach the players? I'd keep them. I think you need a good balance there. Hey, uh, Dario Casale, he had a question for us. Always writes in. Thank you, Dario. We gave him a clap a few weeks ago. He's not getting another one. Is Teague going to be coaching in twenty twenty two? Well, I reckon he'll be coaching. I just don't, don't you, know where. At Carlton? <laughs> uh, you'd, you'd imagine so. Mm. I think... Well, I if think you're going with your Gold Coast theory, yes, because <laughs> sacking yeah. him won't, you know, do, do anything. anything. And, he's, but, and, he, and what's he had? He's had, what, 40 games? Yeah. But unlike Jew as well, I don't... Like, Jew was picked... Um, it, it was a succession plan. It was a plan. Gold Coast had a long-term plan. He was also plan. the ducks of the level four coaching panel apparently as well. That's so it. Like but he David, did all the things right. David Teague though was purely picked on his interim performance. Mm. He, mm. he went on a stretch of wins, sold a brand of footy to fans, a fake brand of footy because it hasn't shown up since. Fake. Fake, yeah. 
Well, well you well, know, it's it's not sustainable. It was not sustainable no. what he, you know, that little period there, and I think it's been proven. I I, I heard yeah a few past players. I can't remember now. I should have done the research. I, I, I some past players were talking about this. Right, sometimes it's you can get results from the wrong brand of football or the, you know, so yeah. it doesn't have to, because they won last year, doesn't mean that that was sustainable coming into this year. Yeah. Oh, that was two years ago now, but yeah, last year, obviously it was a weird year. Um, I don't think though that they're going to get rid of Teague. I think he's going to stay at Carlton. They're doing the board, refer- they're doing the internal review. Um, the pressure's going to be on if they lose this week, but I think it's the people around them. They should be re- reviewing themselves. They need to answer why have why have you been getting rid of Mick, Mick Malthouse, Dennis Pagan, um, you know Brendan Bolton? Why is it you know how did they stuff this up? Even when we talked to the Matty Lappin, and he left in two thousand and seven, and and he said on his on his way out, we've got draft picks, we've got the youth there. Something would have to go horrifically wrong for these guys to stuff it up, and they stuffed it up. Mm. So it, and that's not Teague's fault that he's sitting here right now. Um, what you want from them is that the players play for him rather than just come out on a Monday and say, hey, yeah, we back the coach. We'll show it. Show it on the field. No, that's Tackle. It. I think you can, have, you can have whatever game plan you want, but if you don't bring that pressure, like, yeah, that effort, look, you're not going to win. They don't look mm. like it. But I don't th- I, again, I don't think Teague is going to get the sack. I think he'll be coaching next year. Boys, any last quick thoughts before we head into a weekend of full football? We're getting nine games this weekend. How good is that? Are you excited? It's going to hit me like a train, mate. It will. Games left, right, and center. That's right. Tigers win against the Saints. Who have the Hawks got? Uh, GWS, which has been moved to the MCG. Oh, yeah, it has. Which is a massive plus have for you us. got your tickets? Not okay. yet, because I only found out a couple of hours ago that it got moved to the G. That's so right. You might be looking at a blockbuster, 4,000 people at that one. And Can't there's wait. enough footballs back with Amplitude Blockbuster as it well. We're looking forward Brisbane. to uh, reading your preview about it. Jimmy. That's right. Will do, boys. I've got to get started on that. So hashtag the gym session. I'll go get started on my preview. Please let us know what you thought of the show and the Rancy interview. Thanks for your company. Go Tikes.